Hi, and welcome back to the Campaign Builder. I'm Dan. And I'm Adam. And we're working with you to build a long-term campaign using dynamic encounters. We know that your campaign will be different than ours, and so will your methods. So take what you want from these episodes and use, adapt, and throw away whatever you need to in order to make things work for your campaign. We'd love to hear how your methods are different from ours. At this point, we're assuming that we'll have a five-person party made of the following five archetypes. A warrior, a priest, a mage, a criminal, and an outdoorsman. But who else is in the world? What about the rest of the citizens? The DM has a lot of options out there, so where do we begin? Well, we begin by building. Alright, Adam, so unfortunately we're not playing a game that is... Um, Like the Matrix staging room, where it's just a big, wide open nothing that you could just call forth the items and the people you need to speak to to learn whatever it is. There are people and there are creatures who are living in your world and will interact with your PCs. And quite often, I know a lot of DMs stumble at the creation of these people and creatures, which we all just affectionately call NPCs or non-playable characters. They have... A life to them and and to be intriguing npcs they need to have more than just a name so where do you start building an npc adam it it is the name right honestly the name is the very last thing that i do and it is just about the only thing that i will head to a random generator for if only to expedite the process if, for example, I've got a entire civilization of swamp elves and we're going to interact with a bunch of them, I don't have the mental capacity or the want to be able to build a bunch of names. What I do want to know is uh, essentially what those those names are, but I, I like... I will go to the internet for that. I will try to pick names that are not familiar to people. You're not going to hear Legolas for an elf, but I am going yep. to try to, to grab stuff that sounds... Like, it could be out of the same base language, and every once in a while I will reuse a last name and see who notices. And if they do, then those people are related somehow. But no, there are really physical details and then role-playing details, and those are the two things that you need. You need to be able to describe the NPC, and then you need to be able to uh, to interact with them, right? So we're looking for kind of the, the what do the, what are they and how do they act? Or who are they and why do they act this way? Right. So that's that's really how we're looking at this. Yeah, I mean I'm 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 kinda with you in the in the respects that the names are usually the last thing I do, especially for like stock random NPCs. Like the uh, the names will usually be the last thing I do there unless the name is something important like if the name is if the name is connected to something or there's a clue in the name that that might be where I start but that's the only instance of that otherwise I'm I'm like you I'm trying to build characters who make sense and uh matter in in the world and like influence the world that they're around before I worry about what their parents called them yeah no I agree with you 100% but you need to have a basic structure of what you're dealing with first, right? You need, I mean, for lack of a better phrase, a skeleton uh, to work with. So you need the physical details. Honestly, it could be a skeleton. Your NPC could be a skeleton. But they're probably not. But so, they could be. Okay, yeah. Um, what I would say is that uh, we should start with looking at the, the physical details. The very first thing, before you really even interact with most NPCs, 
you get a base description of them. But, man, there are a lot of different ways to portray or to get across the idea of an NPC. A lot of information you may want to get out so that everyone around the table is picturing the same thing in their head. Yeah. And we narrowed it down to 15 different aspects to the physicality of uh, of an NPC. So, um, no. do we want to take turns to run through them? you want to roll initiative on this? Sure. All right. Ooh, a 19. I got a six. All right, you go first. Um, so right off the top, I mean, the thing that everyone is going to want to know first is what is that creature's race? Whether they are an elf, a human, a half-orc, a halfling, a dwarf, they are going to have a different reaction to the creature standing there based off their race. Now, this is this is usually something I think of last, to be honest. I, I will make sure that the race makes sense if I'm trying to come up with an NPC off the top of my head. But it is it is uh, something that will inform at least some of the reaction to that character to your players. Yeah, look, honestly, I, I agree. This, this, unless that it, unless, like I said before, you're walking into a community of elves, right, where it's already decided for you. Just your location dictates who you're dealing with. If you yeah. go to the plane of law, you're dealing with Modrons, right? Like, you, you know what you're dealing with here. You don't have to put a whole lot of thought and effort into this. Uh, no, you and, really don't. And so it's one of those things that I just say, oh, you know what? I want someone who takes things very literally. They are uh, honorable. They are a little bit like Worf from Star Trek. This guy's going to be a dragonborn. I'm not, may, maybe a dwarf. I'm not thinking about anything much, much deeper than that at this first base level, right? The, yeah. the race and the personality will um, dictate each other a little bit. But again, I'm not spending too much time on race. So the next one is uh, the status. So it's, and you will know right off the bat, am I building a king or am I building a, an orphan, a pauper in the streets? Am I building a mercenary, a captain of the mercenaries? Am I building a merchant? Am I building a skeezy merchant? Right? Are they going to be rich or poor? Are they going to have a title? Are they going to have a proper upbringing? These are all the things to, to think about with uh, your status. So you will know, even before you get to anything else, kind of what the level of education is, what the level of intelligence is, and uh, and how they move throughout the society. What is their status? And this will will uh, give you an idea on a bunch of the other things moving forward as well. A bunch of the other physical descriptions as well will tie right back to what their status is. Next, we have their class or their job. Now, this could either be their literal class. Like, are they a warrior? Are they a priest? Are they a mage? Um, but it could also be what their job is. Are they a stable hand? Are they an innkeeper? Um, this uh, vocational position will help your characters understand where they stand in relation to this character, um, as well as what kind of things this character might be able to help or inform them with. Um, this is one of the first things I look at when I'm building an NPC, mostly because it, for me, a job or a class is so necessary to a NPC's uh, use that it needs to be well-defined if I'm throwing uh, this NPC at the party. So, And I, I want to make this clear. This job could also be like alley occupant, right? Like they, they're, they're, they're a homeless person in an alley. Or it could, it could be um, this, you know, high-ranking paladin. This will really help your party inform and anything in between. It could really help your party build on this idea. 
The next one, of course, is age. Are they elderly? Are they a child? Are they um, middle age? And I mean, everybody, every NPC just turned the age of maturity, right? I'm a 19-year-old. I'm striking out on my own for the first time, right? Um, or they're in their 40s because it's nondescript and you can say whatever you want there. But really think about what it would be like to have a child merchant. What are different <laughs> um, races? What are their lifespans? And what do those look like? Yeah, we know that dwarves don't hit their age of maturity until they reach about 100 years old. Sure. What does an 80-year-old dwarf look like then? At what point are they physically mature? And this is an emotional or a psychological thing. Age is going yeah. to really impact what you are going to be able to bring to the table as far as uh, wisdom. Where status really, really lets you know about your intelligence, age is going to let you know about your level of wisdom. Uh, and I don't mean the stat wisdom, so like it affects your perception. I mean, how wise yeah. is this person? Uh, are they going to have an inclination to uh, be a little bit more crafty or savvy? You're not going to be able, to, or you're not going to be able to fool them easily, or maybe they've gone senile. Right? Your age is going to really, really, really impact it. And I like to save kind of the stranger ages, the really young or the really old. Or someone who is a very who's young, but in a position that you would expect an old person. The the head of an assassin's guild is a fourteen year old. This is where um, I start to save some of these weird ones to be occasional, so they stick out. Yep. But age is an important indicator of who you're dealing with, and it might not always be that apparent to the players when they've got to look at, say, a turtle, right, or an aracocra. Can you tell how old a bird is by looking at it? <laughs> I don't think I can. Like once, once they're no longer a, a a little chick and they become an actual bird, then I, yeah, I, I don't know. Next and uh, rather quickly here is their gender or and uh, and or sexuality. Um, are they male? Are they female? Are they in between? Are they uh, gay? Are they straight? Um, these are going to be the kind of things that your party is going to be able to determine uh, rather quickly <laughs> by looking at them, but also um, will help bring um, a little bit more understanding of the stage of life that these people are on. Um, we all understand that this could also be a bit of a sticky subject with some members of your table. So, uh, you know, play this well, play it with honor, um, and and um, you could build some really intriguing characters that way. Yeah, I think it's important to have uh, representation in any game. I agree. Um, and have, having androgynous um or um or transgendered characters even i mean look when you've got a world with doppelgangers and changelings and whatnot you can have um beings people that can change how they look all the time and these could be interesting details of them but you could have um a character i had a character in my last campaign that was um in my head i'm like this is the gayest gay man of all time and <laughs> the, and the players never knew because why would they I'm not going to play into the stereotypes, but if there was going to be a female seduction or they end up in a strip club or a bordello or whatever, he won't be interested. I made that choice, right? That's, that's not what he's about. And so, um, anything on the LGBT spectrum can come in here. Well, you might be able to tell right away, um, with the, the gender that they identify with. Uh, a lot of times it might be very subtle. It might be hidden and you won't be able to tell sexuality. And then there's just straight up some some NPCs out there like kobolds that will be actively changing from one to another. 
So the next one uh, is really obvious, height and weight. This is your general size. You're going to know if you're playing a small creature or if you're going to play a medium creature or a really beefy medium creature. Your minotaur that's particularly scrawny is going to tell a very different story than your uh, giant fat uh, halfling, right? So uh, don't be afraid to play with the height and weight and subvert expectations some of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe that dwarf is just a very large gnome with a long beard. So next on the list is the the coloring of your uh, NPC. Um, this goes from, I mean, the, the the color of their skin to their hair, to their eyes, to their um, scales, to their feathers, to their everything. Remember that this is a fantasy game. And uh, like we like with the gender and sexuality uh, side of things, we are inclusive and we are uh, non-judgmental about and, and non-prejudiced. Uh, so I like to have representation. I like to have different ways to kind of show that this this world is varied. It is beautiful and colorful um, in any different ways. And like with the height and weight and general body shape, we should definitely be playing with expectations here as well. Um, and by that, I mean, what happens if you have an orange dragonborn or what happens if you have a smooth faced dwarf? These are things that you really want to um, play on to add some depth character intrigue to your characters. The next one is pretty straightforward. It's going to tie back to status. Um, and this is your cleanliness. I think a lot of people brush over this, but is there dirt under the fingernails? Are people smelly? Um, and is it because of their job, maybe, that they're out working in the field? Or are they absolutely pristine because they are nobility and they don't bother to get their hands dirty? Your cleanliness can be a clue to your players. Also going along with the status and cleanliness side of things, the uh, articles of clothing or the style that your NPC is wearing, these are things that you will... Tell in their physical description that will tell a massive story about where this character uh, holds their values as well. Um, it's also not the uh, style of their clothing, but what is on their clo- like? Are are there holy symbols on their clothing? Is their uh, is their clothing worn or is it fresh? Is it uh, well put together? So these these are ways that you can explain to your party how to respond just with what they're wearing. Along with clothing, of course, is accessories. Uh, This is going to be your jewelry, again, tied back to status, but it can also be tied to, um, like Dan said, uh, religious iconography that you are wearing, or even whether or not you carry a sword, right? What are the things that a person carries on them, well, from a backpack to glasses uh, and everything in between uh, that is not considered clothing that might be an indication of who they are? Next is their posture is your and th- and this is uh, also a bit of an emotive uh, emotional state of your player uh, your NPC are they hunched over looking like they're bearing the weight of the world or are they standing up tall and defiant in the stresses of their day to day life um, do they look downcast are they bright eyed and bushy tailed there there are so many different ways you could go with this and again this will really help your players understand where this character is at when they approach and how the characters should approach these npcs as they're going in because if someone's sitting on the side of the street crying you definitely don't want that you know brash barbarian running forward unless it's for the walls but you don't want that barbarian running forward and going, hey, what's going on with you? Ha ha ha. Right? No. Uh, like, 
this will inform how your characters, how your players react to this NPC. The obvious one that is a point of contention for a lot of dungeon masters is a unique voice. And my big thing that, uh, that I would like to just remind everyone is that a character voice is not necessary. We're not all Matt Mercer and you're not expected to be. No. If you have trouble creating character voices, think about the intonations and the enunciation and the speed at which you talk so that you don't have to worry about going high or low or doing accents or any of that. You can just slow down, be calm, and be precise to give a very different kind of idea of who this character is. Speeding up and being hyperactive, um, like your voice and the energy that it has is going to provide a lot of information about your character. Also, there's the unspoken voice uh, for the characters, their mannerisms. Are their hands ringing? Do they have a twitch? Are they constantly looking over their shoulders? Are they um, running their fingers through their hair nervously? Um, do they meet everyone's eyes in their conversations? Do they have some sort of item in their fingers that they twirl as they talk or cats or a pet that they pet as they talk to the party? These are going to be things that um, are the unspoken voice of your characters to display kind of where they sit. And of course, there are scars and tattoos and birthmarks as well. Things beyond just your complexion and your coloring, but your imperfections on your skin. Um, whether they're freckles to pockmarks to acne, whatever it is. Um, these ideas that your skin is not a smooth, solid color. Um, for some dragonborn, uh, that can be the, the quality or the texture of their, of their scales. And for others, it can be tattoos or, you said earlier, Dan, the smoothness of a, of a dwarf's face, right? Well, why is it that way? Is, that, is it a burn? What, did he have acid poured on him? There are all sorts of things that you can uh, imply with scars and tattoos and uh, skin level, surface level imperfections. And finally, there is the location that you meet this NPC. The criminal might not walk into your party at the you know, wide open in the middle of the service, church service, but in the corner of a tavern, that makes a lot more sense. This is going to help you as a DM set the tone for the conversation or the interaction that your players are going to have with this NPC that you build. This will be one of the last things I do before I select their name. All right, Adam, we, we've gone through the list. We, we know um, why we want to think about these things as DMs for when we're building NPCs. Um, are there any three that you kind of focus on? I mean, some of these I don't do at all. Some of them I, I focus on. So how about we come up with like three unique ideas from the list we just went through um, and kind of explain why these are the ones we go to and maybe given a unique idea of what would fit in that category? Yep. Yeah, okay. Let's uh, roll okay. initiative. Let's roll for it. Yeah. Huh. Ooh, a 14. <laughs> I botched. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'll start off here. Um, I mentioned earlier the clothing of a character. This is, this is something that I really, really um, lean into when I build an NPC because I think that overall appearance and how they hold themselves and how they dressed themselves in the morning matters a lot um, and can really communicate a lot of things to your party 
more than I think even they will understand. If an NPC walks up to them with golden shoes, like shoes that are just sequined or have, as I mentioned earlier, like holy symbols hanging off their clothes, you know that this person is a devout follower of whatever deity. And then your party's doing religion checks to figure out what kind of symbols are hanging off of them. You know kind of which organization they represent. Clothing is one of the things I do. Like their, their appearance, their, their how they dress themselves is one of these things I lean into heavily as a DM. Mine is tied pretty closely to clothing as well. Um, and it's I want to come back to cleanliness. I know that I just kind of touched on it briefly there, but the idea of not just how clean your hands are, but how clean your clothes are, this will indicate some of your mannerisms, how you sit down, how you interact with the world. Will you, will the, will this NPC, will this character reach out and touch dirty things? Will they touch people, right? The idea of there being a proper way of presenting one's self the idea of the maybe they're nobility or maybe they're a diplomat, right? Maybe they're not nobility at all, but they're a merchant that wants to put forward the best face. Whatever they are, whatever the NPC ends up being, the idea of, of cleanliness is, and not just of their own physical being, but of their surroundings as well. Because if you, if you go into a blacksmith and the place is spotless, maybe they don't actually get a lot of business. Right, but the this idea of cleanliness, especially in a pseudo medieval world that you're going to be operating in, it's going to tell you a lot. The cleaner things are, the more extreme people's reactions are going to be, because this is a world of dirt and coal uh, and charcoal and mud and rain, and people are dirty. They just are. The natural state is dirty. There's not soap everywhere. So when you see someone who is immaculately clean and riding a white horse. That looks like it's been brushed and it's gotten a, a little haircut and even the horse is clean and the, you don't have shining armor. The reason that we have a knight in shining armor as a weird archetype is because that armor is new and it shows that there's a level of sophistication and nobility attached to this knighthood. Yeah. My next one I have is, is, is by far my favorite thing to go to and it is the scars and tattoos. Um, adventuring is a hard life living in this world like you mentioned that is dirty and grimy is a hard life and people often wear that literally on their face um i have had many battle veterans with face tattoos or face scars uh discuss geopolitical uh environments to my party um and they would have the authority to do so because they've been stuck in the army and fighting the wars for these this noble class for years right like these are the things you could really imply for barbarian tribes the idea or or a ranger conclave or a druid uh circle tattoos and 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 what they mean and what they signify are vastly important and you can get so much information about an npc just from the tattoos and the scars that are on their skin have they led a traumatic life have they led a very uh, sheltered life and are, like you said, clean without scar or mar or blemish on their skin? Because um, the absence of a scar or a tattoo explains just as much as the presence of a scar or a tattoo. And uh, your party will be able to gain some respect or even lose some respect for an NPC based off of their scars and, and, and tattoos. And like, this also includes like body modifications. 
Like, does this NPC have a bone through their uh, nose or do they have, uh, does the barbarian have pierced nipples? Like things are, these are the things you got to, that explain and carry with them more weight. That's what this is. You are, you're being able to see this person's life journey, either through a tattoo or a scar that is on them. I don't need to know if your nipples are pierced, Dan. <laughs> so uh, my next one is honestly the class and and the job. And these in my head are two very different things. Just because you are a cleric does not mean you are also a priest. A cleric yeah. can just be someone who is uh, touched by God. Uh, the priest archetype that we play with does not have to be part of a holy religious order. They can just be someone that has a personal religious relationship with a higher being, right? So um, don't make the mistake of thinking that every single priest out there is able to, to heal people. That's not the way that it is at all. And there's nothing stopping a, uh, a random merchant or maybe the tanner that, uh, that takes all of the uh, animal skins and tans them and, and, and passes it on to the leather worker or whatnot. Maybe that's, maybe that's the person that is uh, secretly worshipping the great old ones and bringing death and ruin and famine and destruction to the town. You don't have to tie in motivation to a job. There are a lot of people with a lot of different motivations in each occupation, in each uh, career path. And so a lot of people get really tied to the idea of, oh, uh, my guy is going to be an herbalist and therefore he's going to be a druid. Or uh, he's an herbalist, he's an outdoorsman of some kind. That doesn't necessarily have to be true. You can have a, a noble who absolutely loves their gardening and is an herbalist on the side. These are things that we should think about um, when it comes to subverting expectations. Uh, and it's going to teach us a lot about who this character is based on whether or not their class or their job uh, or their status of the other parts of who they are line up congruently. Because if they don't, there must be a pretty interesting reason why. All right, for my final one here, Adam, I have the posture of your character. These are going to be things that, for me, is like, is your character hunched over? Or does it look like they're trying to convey a secret by, uh, you know, having that one hand to their mouth and whispering? Um, are they uh, proud? And is their nose, uh, are they looking down their nose at the party? Um, these, the posture conveys a lot of the attitude of the NPC. And, and when your party approaches, you'll be able to tell based off the par uh, posture of the NPC alone, where they stand in their opinion of your players. Yeah. It, it's a great indicator of, uh, of not just attitude and relationship, but also, uh, of status as well. And again, I keep circling back to status over and over again, because it is important because it's going to drive motivations uh, and give you an idea of, uh, of whether or not the NPC is uh, approachable, what they're willing to do to bend over for the, the party, or if they're rigid in their uh, view on life. So having uh, an elf with his chin raised up, walking through, strutting through the streets, is a lot different than an elf who's hunched over, who's scurrying through the streets, right? So posture, a lot of time, uh, is tied very closely with, with mannerisms. And I think that you're absolutely right, Dan, that this is one of the things that I know, at least around my table, when I decide that I'm going to get back into uh, a character posture, there are people around the table that either get excited or they groan because, oh yeah, we have to deal with this person again. Yeah, exactly. And my last one is location. And a lot of people don't think about this 
Uh, I'm just going to hit this briefly because I could talk for a long time about it, but the idea that it's it's not just about who your character is, where are they, when are they here, why are they here now. Really think about this, because you may be able to bump into the blacksmith in the middle of the general store, or the prince on a on a promenade. You know, walking walking in a parade route through the street. There there could be many, many different reasons, many different locations to run into people where you have to go find the the street urchin to get some information, but he's in jail. Adding an extra level of complexity by including the location of the character is um is very important, is very key to not only who this character is. Um, but also it gives you an indication of what they might be up to in their life and will color how people are perceiving them upon, um, you know, first introductions. Okay, Adam. So we have talked about the physical appearance, the, uh, things your party sees before they even talk to this NPC. Now there's more to a character than that. There's more to, uh, NPC to that. There's more to people than that. There is their entire personality. So where do you kind of begin when you're trying to develop an NPC's personality? Well, you have to know where they're coming from and where they're going to. That's really the big thing about um, my NPCs anyway. I need to know what their status quo is and also what their motivation is because they always want change. Even if that changes, put more money in my pocket or leave me alone. I'm tired of you standing here, right? They're looking Mm -hmm. for change. Every person wants something. They're not standing around waiting to be bothered unless, of course, they are a town guard. At which point they may still be wanting change. They might be excited to see you or they might be, um, they might have to stop you and, and send you back the way you came, right? They're, they're changing this, the scenario, the circumstances. Otherwise, we wouldn't have an NPC there. We would deliver the information with a note. Well, I I think it's very important to reinforce the fact that your your NPCs um, may or may not be quest givers at all. Um, They are interesting characters that just added some life and add some color to the world. So an NPC is going to have a a vastly different personality than, say, if you're playing World of Warcraft and you come up to a thing with an exclamation point above its head. That's not why these guys are here. They're not here to just give you quests. They are here to... Um, breathe life into the campaign. And a lot of that is going to be inside of the personality. So like with the physical attributes, we've come up with a list of uh, role-playing details that will help inform personality for your NPCs. So Adam, let's let's grab our dice. Let's roll them. Let's try to cover these. Okay. I'm, I've, I've done nothing but roll 14s today. I just got a natural 20. Oh, okay. Let's go first. All right, so the very first thing, this is pretty straightforward to me. Uh, does this character have a family? Are they worried about more than just themselves? And if so, what is that family like and what's the relationship between them and their family? This is a detail that I want to have. Next, not just their family, but their direct romantic relationship. These are your boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, husband, wife. Uh, these are the people that they have a very strong emotional connection to, um, maybe even stronger to than the connection to the rest of their family. Um, these are some things that you definitely want to have in the back of your mind when building your NPCs. Just like romantic relationships, uh, will drive forward plot as well as there are people that are, you know, threatened or in danger or whatnot. Another one that can drive forward plot are who are these NPCs contacts 
out in the world? Who are the people that they're not just friendly with, but will do favors for them, will give them information, and will let them accomplish things beyond their own individual means? And by having a network of contacts, by understanding which NPCs will interact with other NPCs, uh, you can actually start to flesh out what a city or what a complex social structure looks like. Next is the NPC's attitudes of the players specifically. Is this going to be, uh, when your players are walking up to them, how do they immediately, what is their first knee-jerk reaction to the players as an NPC? Um, are they in favor? Are they uh, against? The, uh, are they upset that their day-to-day is being interrupted by this group of wayward adventurers? These are things that you need to know when you're, when you're um, presenting an NPC to the party. The next one is pretty straightforward. What is the NPC's faith? Do they believe in a god? If you have a single church in the middle of your small village, it stands to reason that on every Sunday, every single member of the small village goes to church. If you have to have a conversation with the priest about anybody, an NPC priest, they will know everyone in the village because they come to church. Having something like uh, like a faith that they believe in, even if it's a, a secret faith, because they're a part of a cult, this can really, really influence what they are going to be able to do, uh, how they're going to react, and what, uh, what they might be hiding in the shadows as well. Next is the preferences and, pre- and prejudices. These are going to be how your, care- how your NPC views members of that race, of that gender, of that... Uh, faith of that uh, station in life. Um, These will really help uh, build into your NPC a little bit of uh, interesting flavor as well as maybe add some drama to the campaign um, or be a uniting uh, figure for your players when they're dealing with, I don't know, the super racist farmer or something. Another good one, and this one might be able to subvert some expectations as well, is does your NPC have a sense of humor? Not are they funny, but will they laugh? Because a lot of NPCs are just stone-cold, neutral-faced, pushing out the information and the uh, exposition as quickly as possible to move on. But if you want to endear an NPC to the party, making them laugh with the party is a great way to do that. Next is the transparency of your NPC. How much are they willing to give up and how much are they go- are they going to want to hold back? What does your player have to roll on a persuasion check to get that additional next step of information? This is uh this will add a little bit more depth to your NPCs as well as um they could be either the most useless NPC if your players roll poorly on the persuasion to an integral cog in the machine that is the plot that you're trying to weave as they have this piece of information this that will open up the investigation to your party. The next one is just the needs. What are the actual literal needs that these people, these NPCs need? to stay with their status quo. The merchant needs to have a shop. The blacksmith needs to have a hammer. These are not wants, and this is, this is not the life or limb level of need with, you know, you need air and food and water. No, this is what they need to be able to stay the same NPC that you met when you first walk up to them. What do they consider to be the needs of their lives? 
Next up is the goals that your NPC has. This one is incredibly important. Um, this is what's your, uh, what your NPC is working towards. What is their, uh, I, I don't want to bring out the whole five-year plan, 10-year plan, 20-year plan, because um, we don't need to be, be that in-depth with our NPCs. But there is a very literal goal that your NPC is working towards uh, for them to be a fleshed-out, three-dimensional NPC. Um, so what is that goal? Uh, is it a happy life? Is it a successful farm? Is it to become one of the nobility or gentry? Like these, this is something that you need to have to have these three dimensional NPCs. And the goals are very different than a character's desires. A goal is long-term and it's big picture. I want to be the most successful merchant. I want to grow the most crops this season. I want to be able to improve my state of life. A desire is, I want that. That shiny, I want it. I want to get drunk. I want to tell a joke. I want to sing a song. What am I doing right now, and what do I want in this moment? Desires can often feed toward goals, but desires are very much the thing that you want right now in this moment. These are your, your greed and your, your lust and your gluttony, the impulses that you have, whereas goals yeah. are what's on the horizon. Yeah. Goals are long-term long desires often feed into vices. Yes, but they don't necessarily have to. Next are your NPC's pet peeves. These are things that are going to make the... Um, added a little bit of interesting... Uh, Depth to a conversation as your, you know, barbarian mentions that one thing that your NPC will not abide by. Um, I, I, I really like throwing these things in for uh, my more long term um, NPCs because then I will have the party have to interact with this character about the thing that you know is their uh, pet peeve, but they're an expert on it because it's their pet peeve. So I, I, I like to play on this. Um, this is definitely something that I would not want to do as a uh, hidden secret. I would want it to be something the party can figure out pretty quick without destroying a conversation because um, it, could, it could ruin whatever I hope this NPC could be. The next one is very simple and straightforward, and we can all wrap our brains around this one pretty easily. What is the NPC afraid of? specifically in regards to the party being here. If they're giving a quest, are they afraid of losing something or not getting something back? Are, or are they afraid that there's someone that's watching them over their shoulder? They can't talk about it right now. I'll, I'll meet you at the back of the tavern at uh, midnight tonight. Whatever it is, fears will directly impact how a non-playable character reacts. Next, and this is directly connected to pet peeves and fears of an NPC, is what will trigger them. Often these are going to be things that the uh, NPC might not really know about, um, but there'll be things that set this NPC off. Um, maybe they are points of injury in the past or trauma in the past that gets your NPC talking about the subjects that your players can either exploit or care for now of course when it comes to things that trigger npcs they might trigger your players as well so be very mindful of when you use these and another thing to talk about of course with with triggers and because they not they might not be aware of their own triggers um are secrets that they have things that they hold to themselves we discussed briefly the idea of transparency and how how likely they are to give up the information but there will be some things that are so deep and dark that they will never give it up 
and no intimidation check is going to change their mind. What are these secrets? What are they holding on deep inside that they will never share with the party, but will influence their actions in maybe subtle, but maybe very obvious ways? Finally, there's the NPC's adaptability. This is whether or not your um, NPC that you've built is three-dimensional. Are they willing to change uh, in the relationship to the MP, uh, to the players? Are they willing to adapt to whatever the current situation is and grow and react to it accordingly? Um, your NPC having a certain amount of ad- adaptability will really help breathe life into them so that they're not just that two-dimensional cardboard cutout of someone that just throws a quest item at the NPC, at, at your players. Okay, Adam, like like we did with the physical attributes, um, I want you know three unique ideas of what kind of personality quirks or um, hidden secrets that you can add to your NPC stats and depth. So let's roll the dice and figure out which one of these really speaks to us and how would we use them? I got an 11. I got a 16. I'm going to go first. Sure. All right. So I touched on this briefly with the sense of humor. Uh, This is really important um, for me and my characters because not just NPCs, but also villains can be funny. And you don't have really any control over whether or not the table, the players around the table are going to think that what you have to say is funny. They're going to make up their own minds. They might just be annoyed with this character that you've crafted for a long period of time. But if they are entertaining themselves, the NPCs, I mean, or if they are entertaining at least one person around the table, then they're going to be more in-depth than just the person that walks up and says, the king needs you. If they walk up and they make some crack about the king, or they call him by some colloquial nickname that the king doesn't really like or if they share an opinion with the players who have already met the king once as well look king stick up the ass over there is uh (laughs) is looking to call you you're gonna get a positive reaction and a lot of dungeon masters take the npcs and the quest giving whatnot so seriously that they forget that there are different walks of life and different mentalities Uh, around inside a city. Yes, everyone here might like the king, but there are many different ways to to represent that, and there are many different degrees with which you might like the king, and there might be some outliers as well. Have fun exploring that and use humor to do it, especially if you need to break up uh, a heavy moment, like, as we've been talking about, riots and exorcisms and courtroom dramas and, and street brawls. Having... And and having an NPC walk up, go shoulder to shoulder with the warrior and say, yeah, we can take him. You take the six on the left. I'll take um, the one on the right. And, uh, you know, we could do this, right? Uh, You might get a chuckle out of somebody and they'll like that NPC just that little bit more. This is a great way to endear your non-playable character to your party. For me, the issue of faith of an NPC is vastly important. Um, 
as I've said on this podcast, um, and and also the the it's mimic podcast, the Tuesday podcast, we have I have a very deep faith for myself and the way I live my life, and I know that my NPCs are going to um, want to have an opinion on the gods, and I think it's incredibly an important part of an NPC to have an opinion on the gods, whether it is a personal systematic faith or whether it's a hatred of faith or an ambivalence towards the faith. So. Um, I like having this drawn out and, and this will be a really good way for your NPCs, um, to build interactions with their outdoorsmen or their priests or their faithful warriors. Like this really adds a lot of depth to a character and in a world where the gods are as prevalent in society and as, uh, evident in society, it's hard to have a character who does not have an opinion in some way, shape, or form with the gods. And in our specific campaign that we're building, where we have, um, the gods have now disappeared and have gone missing, it is going to be a surface level response. Everyone is going to have an opinion. Everyone is going to be concerned with where the gods are and in what state they are leaving the world. The next one that I want to talk about really quickly is uh, triggers. And a trigger does not necessarily have to be a negative thing. I mean, that's the connotation that we use it in now. But when it comes to game design, when you're sitting down to build your own homebrew encounters, what you're looking for is something that is going to trigger the next encounter or move the plot forward as best as you can. Um, and so you're waiting for certain things. Now, don't be hard and fast on waiting to hear a certain word or phrase. Okay. Don't wait for them to walk in through the door or I've set it up. So they've got to crash through a window. And if they don't, then I don't know what to do. Have very broad, generic triggers. If the NPC likes one of the, one of the, uh, players and that's it. That's it. They just have to like them. If that happens, then I'll give them this information. Or yeah. uh, while we were talking, uh, there was something completely outside of the player's control happened. A crow landed beside him. And then all of a sudden, the NPC starts freaking out because they're deathly phobic about, about crows. If you leave it up to the player's agency to be a part of the triggering um, action, then you are never, ever, ever going to be able to predict what's going to happen with your NPCs. So when it comes to designing, make sure that when you come up with their triggers, what you want to see happen for good or for bad, make sure that that is something that you yourself have control over or make it very, very broad. And don't forget that can change on the fly as needed while you are running a game. But whatever you do, keep it consistent with all interactions moving forward with this character. My uh, next one is one that I personally put on every single NPC I build without fail. It is a driving factor for a lot of my NPCs and it is what they fear. Um, now this could be what your players can exploit in them or what they are will, not willing to do or, or willing to do to avoid whatever their fear is. Now, usually I do something rather broad and generic. I don't necessarily throw out a specific fear or phobia here, like a scientific phobia. It could be something like they are afraid that their wife will find out about a secret relationship or they are afraid that this action that they have been hiding as a secret for years will come to light and it's close. 
Like there are things like that that I'll th- throw at the characters, or what I will do is give them that scientific one. Like this is this is very a this is a very broad directional attribute to throw towards your characters and, and in your NPCs, and I love using this one. It it informs my NPCs a lot. So I would I would highly recommend you have some sort of fear, whether it be social, actual, whatever it is, um, to your NPCs. And it'll really help drive depth and even, if you can, plot through the NPC's fears. So my last one is, in my opinion, a great example of how we should be thinking about our NPCs in the first place. I want to talk about goals again for a second. Goals are the motivating factor behind desires a lot of times, or they're directly um, tied into the concept of need. Goals can have to do with status and how you present yourself and posture. Maybe your goal is to get in good with the king so that you straighten up your back a little bit better. Maybe your goal is to be, uh, is to endear yourself to the queen. And so you're going to try to be a little bit funnier. Whatever it is, the goals for this NPC are going to be the root of the reason why they're doing the things. It's the root of the thing. We have to come back to the idea of why. And we've kind of danced around it this entire episode, but why is it important for your NPCs to act in this way? Why are they doing the things that they're doing? If you don't have a motivation, if you don't have a long-term goal for the NPC, even if they are sitting there and they've got needs and desires and the, the... drunk just wants he just needs to have alcohol or he feels sick and he desires that cup that the warrior is holding and he desperately wants that what is his goal if he doesn't have a goal if his need is just the booze and the desire is just the booze you don't have a fleshed out character here no so you have to know what your motivations are your reasons why what are the things that they want in life how close are they to getting them and how close are those things to slipping away we just talked about a big riot think about the goals that the all of those people in that town of sandspit think about the goals that are now just destroyed think of the desperation that comes with that yep. what are the goals of the the priesthood in the temple and now the temple has been desecrated and one of the priests has been murdered and how does all of this change and how will this impact your npcs and how they're going to interact with your party moving forward for my final one here i have the attitude of your npc this is going to be the first step this is going to be the cornerstone of any interaction your party has with this npc so you have want to have an idea of what this is going to be from the get-go is your party impressed by these new local town heroes and folk heroes um are they less than impressed by them do they i would also bring in a little bit of their prejudices and stuff here as well um as well as their opinions of the groups your party is associated with All of this is going to influence the attitude of your NPC and is going to need to be a thing that you cover right away. Because if if you don't know where the attitude of uh, your NPC is in relation to your party, then you will be extremely transparent as a DM who may or may not be just making this up as you go along. (laughs) So, and that's coming from the DM who... Sometimes makes things up as he goes along. So um, I would have a really solid idea of what this NPC's opinion of the party is. And um, as as a group, but also individually, what their opinion of the party members specifically are. And that'll really help your interaction with 
who does this NPC direct the conversation to? Because if they don't like one of the characters, they're not going to register what that character has to say in the conversation. So this is something I want to have ironed out in my head before the players interact with this NPC so that the NPC, uh, so that that interaction feels more fleshed out and more whole um, and gives a lot of character to your NPCs. All right, so we've given uh, DMs out there a lot of things to think about for their NPCs. And it, it might seem like a lot of information, but as with anything we kind of have to offer you here, pick and choose what you want to go with, uh, what you want to utilize to help bring depth to your characters uh, and to your NPCs. Look, honestly, you don't need to know every single member of a of a NPC's family tree. You don't. Are they close with the family? Will it come up in the campaign? No? Then move along. I completely agree that you need to pick and choose two or three different things, but rotate through the list so that you're not always just, well, this guy has no relationship with the gods. Uh, This guy really likes the gods. This guy really likes this god and not that god. And this guy doesn't like any gods. And this guy doesn't believe in gods. You're just hitting the same note over and over and over again. Yeah. Mix it up. So check the show notes because I'm going to include these lists uh, in the show notes as well. Um, But really stop and think about exactly what details you want to add, what is important to you, and also, and very importantly, what is important for your players? What details will they pick up on and they'll want to run with in the future? Because if you notice that they're just excited about goblins all the time, then yeah, man, really hitting that race about whether or not this person has goblin blood in their lineage might be something that you add in. Their great Mm -hmm. uncle is a goblin. (laughs) Weird. Sure. Go for it. I like it. That's, that's crazy. It would never come up in my campaign unless my players are looking for it. That that's what I have to say here. Mix it up. Don't always focus on clothing. Don't always focus on posture or voices because if you mix it up and you do different things you will have a breadth to your npc catalog that other people uh are going to be shocked and entertained that you have um i also want to point out if you were paying attention to these lists we didn't mention things like what their hit points and armor class are we didn't mention things like um are they really good uh, with that long sword at their hip. There are going to be certain mechanical aspects you may want to bring in, but for the most part, when we're building NPCs, we're not dropping a lot of mechanics with them unless we think it's necessary. Don't feel like every single NPC you build has to have a class, has to have detailed hit points, has to have detailed armor class. Um, you can go and just say, this guy's a farmer. Or even if they are a more martial, something that is going to fight eventually, but might not fight now, you could say, oh, this guy is a um, militia man. And if it really came down to it and your players are actually going to draw blades and fight this guy, there are stat blocks at the back of the uh, monster manual that you can use in lieu of having to roll this all up yourself. Just find something that fits. And honestly, that's, I guess, the last point that I have to make as well. There are skills that these guys will have. You will know what they are once you understand why you need this character and who they are. So these are your steps to building these these characters and designing them to fit your niche. If you need them to be good with the sword, if you need them to be to have really high perception because they're town guard, you know that going in. You don't need us to tell you to do that, right? If you don't like the stat block in the back because you think that that they should have a higher stealth because they're a thief, but you're using a veteran stat block then just add a bonus to the stealth score. Yep. 
you will you will figure this out. It's part of being a DM. You're going to figure this out. But we're talking about building interesting, relatable, intriguing characters. Yeah. And now, now you can worry about their names. Okay, enough about the randos out there. Let's get back to the party. As we head on back towards the archetypes we're prepping for, maybe think about how some of these traits could be used when you build your next player character as well. And tune in next week when we get into chases in D&D. Thanks for listening to this episode of the It's a Mimic Campaign Builder. You can find us at www.itsamimic.com and on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcast catchers. We're also available on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and more. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on how you would use this episode in your own homebrew campaigns. I'm Adam. And I'm Dan. And we'll be back with more prep work next week. What you're waiting for are certain events to happen, which will trigger the next encounter or move the forward plot in, or uh, moving the forward plot. I see what you did there. Okay, bye.